Hi, everyone. I'm Devin McDonald, a partner at OpenView, where I spend a lot of time talking to both aspiring and serial board members. This season on Build, we're talking about the journey to the boardroom. Each week, I'll speak with executives who will share their unique stories and insights to help you either consider what type of persona to bring onto your board if you're a CEO, and or help you think through what your path will be to get to the boardroom as an independent director. Now, on with the show. This week on Build, we are going to be interviewing Jenny Chang, who has over 15 years experience leading high-growth U.S. and global software organizations. Currently, she serves as the vice president at PayPal. Jenny was at Salesforce between 2002 and 2011, which, as we all know, was an incredible growth period for Salesforce. They went from 200 to 10,000 employees, from 20 million to 2.5 billion in revenue. After Salesforce, Jenny spent a number of years as the chief product officer at Inside View. Most recently, she became the board member of one of OpenView's newest portfolio companies, Lupio, an RFP management software company based out of Toronto. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us here today. Oh, good to be here. Hi, Devin. Hey, so I want to talk a little bit about the early days in your career. Where did you start? I was a poli major from Berkeley, and I like to say I was an accidental engineer. I ended up in software engineering because it was actually the highest paid job offer that I got out of school. And so I started off uh, coding in C, C++ within an IBM framework, and then just fell in love with it and have just continued ever since. And now, of course, not coding in C or C++, but really just kind of kept with software engineering. I found it just incredibly creative and a lot of fun. So poli-sci originally, did you think you were going to go into politics or something in that realm? I wanted to go to law school. So I started working really to save up money to go to law school. And I wanted to work for the State Department or something along those lines. So I was very motivated to try to figure out how do I give back? I'm an Asian immigrant. And so as an Asian immigrant, I think the entire structure of the U.S. government and ways that, you know, the U.S. influences the rest of the world were just really important to me. And so you said this coding program that you originally engaged in. Talk a little bit about that, because I know that is a unique opportunity. What did that program entail? Yeah, so they took about 50 students from different universities across the U.S., and they put us in a 14-week coding boot camp in North Carolina in Research Triangle Park. And we literally learned about two years of coding in about 14 weeks. And I tell people it was very intense. It was seven days a week. I think we went uh, 12, 15 hours. And I cried, I think, at least once a week uh, or called a CS or EECS friend of mine to ask for advice and help and really was trying to figure out during those first couple of weeks if I could cut it and you know, could I really do this? And did this make sense? And I have to say that at the end of the 14 weeks, I couldn't believe how much I had learned, understood, and how comfortable I was. And so they did a really great job of it. They picked 50 students who were from non-technical backgrounds with the goal of teaching them technical skills and putting them in environments in front of customers so that they could actually communicate better with customers, but also keep kind of a technical framework to the conversation. That's amazing. So I want to jump a little bit to your years at Salesforce. So you were there during an incredible period of growth, just about nine years or so, if I'm not mistaken. Will you tell us a little bit about where Salesforce was back in 2002? You know, if you look at the size of the company from a headcount standpoint Mm -hmm. or revenue, and then 
you know, where it was when you left. But I do want to kind of get into what you were doing over the course of those nine years, because I know it was, like I said, such a crazy period for the business. When I joined in 2002, we were at about 200 employees and I believe about $2.5 million in revenue. And it was really just an amazing, great culture to begin with. And I was really fortunate for being intrigued by the entire value prop that Salesforce was trying to build at that time. This concept of what we now know as uh, cloud and software as a service did not exist at that point in time. And really what they were doing was building this amazing architecture on top of an Oracle database that allowed them to essentially use a multi-tenancy concept for their entire platform. And I was so intrigued by what they were trying to accomplish on that side and then Mark Benioff's vision around no software at that time to really kind of look at, oh, I want to join this company. They're onto something interesting here. And I was just super interested in that piece of it. Really wasn't to join a company thinking that it was going to grow to this amazing, uh, incredibly successful company that it is today. I left at the end of 2011. And I think the company when I left was $2.5 billion. It went from about $2.5 million to about $2.5 billion, I believe, in that period of time. <laughs> and so tell me about the different roles and functions that you oversaw that you led during that period of nine years. Yeah, I was really fortunate to be part of the technology and products organization. And as you can imagine, in any company at that time, I think that entire group when I joined was around 20 people. And as we evolved and grew to hundreds and thousands, part of the reason I think I was there at Salesforce for that length of time was because my job evolved or changed every, I would say, six months. It was everything from just coming on board and helping establish what we were going to do around processes, around releases, around product direction and getting alignment around some of the engineering services. So it was across the board. You said that your role changed every six months. Were different opportunities being presented to you or was this you raising your hand saying, you know, I'm ready for my next challenge. What do you got for me? Would love to hear more about that evolution. Yeah. And I would say it was a combination of a couple different things. One was the fact that I came from a bigger company background. And so I had some exposure knowledge to how things were done at a bigger scale. And so bringing that kind of knowledge experience to the table, making suggestions along with the rest of the technology and leadership executive team. And also because things were evolving so quickly that really we were looking for who was the best person for each area. For example, when we started looking at how are we going to manage our strategic customer, the fact was that I was one of the few people that had a customer-facing background. I had worked at Deloitte Consulting for a couple of years and so I think naturally getting kind of voluntold that that would be a, a good thing for me to take on. There were definitely opportunities like that as well. Then the third was really just raise your hand and saying, I see this as a need, a challenge or opportunity and coming to the table with this suggestion. There were several times I went to my boss at that time, Parker Harris, and said, Parker, I think we need a product analytics function, for example, and really putting that kind of business proposal, if you will, in front and saying, I'm going to need a small team and here's kind of the scope of the work and this is what you could expect out of that type of investment. Did you have a lot of exposure to the board when you were at Salesforce and were you getting any directives through them or was it mostly through Parker or how did that all work out? Good question. 
At Salesforce, we didn't have as much direct exposure to the broader Salesforce org, but what Mark and Parker did was they actually created a technical advisory board for us. And Maynard Webb, who was the former COO of eBay, actually led that technical advisory board. Somewhere between three and four people were on it from various companies. And so myself and two of the other technology executives, we really reported into that board, which then reported up to the corporate board. Oh, that's super interesting. So it was a completely separate board. It was. And the purpose there was really, we were going through this amazing growth. And from a leadership perspective, the three of us who were leading the engineering organization, we were all first-time VPs. And I think giving us the ability to kind of double-click with some technology executives who had seen scale at various companies was key to help us really push our thinking. Was there someone in particular on the tech board that you just really looked to as a mentor? Definitely Maynard. I still keep in touch with him to this day and just feel fortunate for having that exposure to the way he leads and thinks and grows people. It's definitely been a big influence on me. It's a really interesting concept, and I don't hear a lot about other companies doing that. Have you heard of other big companies or even small companies forming that sort of separate advisory tech board, if you will? I see it happening more as a one-to-one, but not as a formal board structure. If I remember correctly, we had this formal board in place for two to three years. So it was a decent length of time. In fact, I think every once in a while, Maynard looks at me and says, oh yeah, Jenny worked for me. And then he pauses and has to think about it. And I like to joke around. I say, yeah, I felt like I reported to him as well. So, <laughs> so it was, I think, very unique. And no, I haven't heard of it being deployed elsewhere I think I've heard of a lot of more one-on-one where a CTO will then get maybe an advisor, you know, from another company, but not in a formal board mode. Was it through that relationship with the Salesforce tech board and through your relationship with Maynard that you started, it almost planted the seed of, ooh, this might be interesting for me to be doing something like this long-term, or did that come a little bit later? It definitely came a bit later. I will say that I joined a bunch of not-for-profit boards. I was on the board of SF Goodwill, for example, and Bay Area American Heart Association and a couple of others. And I think I was really looking for a way to contribute and give back and wanted to focus on the not-for-profit side. And then as I think I became more educated and as I was presenting to boards at various startups, both before and after Salesforce, then I think I realized, oh, I have more to contribute and give. And I have to think about where do I make the space and time and prioritize that to actually sit on a corporate board. So let's talk about after Salesforce. That's a good transition. And so in 2011, you decided to leave the business. Obviously, it was a much different business at that point in time, but still pretty hot and growing very rapidly. What prompted that decision and what did you do from there? There were a couple of good reasons for me to leave the company at that time. And one was that I'd been there for nine years. I think it was just short of 10 years. And it was looking at opportunities for me to think about what is next for me. I very much enjoy that high growth and startup mode. And I had been thinking for a while, should I go to another small startup or should I even consider doing my own startup? And those were kind of two things that I wanted to think about and have the space to really step back and kind of evaluate. 
So I left Salesforce and I took really a solid year off to consult and advise and do some angel investing and really spend that time being a little bit more reflective. The pace in which I had kind of grown up, if you will, at Salesforce was so busy, so intense. I really hadn't taken the time to invest in me as I probably should have. Mm -hmm. So that was really my year to take a step back, learn, look kind of outside of Salesforce and make some determinations on, you know, what am I looking for? What do I want to do for the next 10, 20 years? So after that year of self-reflection, and taking time for yourself. And I know, you know, you'd mentioned to me previously that you did some advisory work during that period. What happened at the end of that year? And what did you decide to do? Sometime in the middle of that year, I think I had already been approached by a couple different people to either join their startup or help them begin a startup. And I started exploring and kind of looking at different options for myself. Ended up, I had a great opportunity to join two other gentlemen as they were just starting their startup. And so joined them and spent the next, probably it was almost a year and a half working with them and creating a company, hiring some people and building a product from zero to alpha. And that's really where I spent my time the next year and a half. And what I loved about that being in the Silicon Valley world was really learning about all the Things you hear about in terms of being a co-founder, starting a company, really spending the time kind of defining what problem you're trying to solve, carving something out so you can at least get it to alpha and then get something out to market in that process. And I think hearing so much about it and living through it, I think are obviously very different. And so it was was a wonderful experience. What was the biggest lesson learned or like something during that time period of founding your own business that surprised you? I think for me, it was classic product market fit. We had clarity on the problem we want to tackle. And then it was really just a question of, all right, where do we start? How do we get this to be digestible? How do we validate it, take it to market? Do we want to take a couple of kind of alpha beta customers first? Do we want to do something bigger? And so I think really being thoughtful about that process Because when you're first starting off from a product strategy perspective, obviously, it's very easy to go too big. And so that process, I think, for me was really enlightening. It always sounded much easier than it was. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's the truth. So in 2013, you joined InsideView Technologies, obviously, much bigger technology, clearly out of the alpha stage, if you will. And you were there for, what, about three and a half years and worked your way up to chief product officer, so a quite senior role within a successful business. Tell us a little bit about that experience and, you know, similar question, what was the biggest learning there? I was very fortunate with Inside View. I knew Umberto Maletti, the CEO, founder from his last startup, as well as one of the other VPs of engineering in his organization. They were really looking for somebody to come in and pivot them from kind of a single product application company to a platform company. And that was something I had done before, had some experience with, and just love. I do love the platform kind of developer partner ecosystem. And so coming in and building out a brand new product, building out a team to support that product, and then looking to help sell and position that product through the first year. So was a great learning. And I I tell everyone, it was the first time 
I was directly accountable for revenue on the books. And so going from being a product developer to actually worrying about what your number is at the end of the quarter is a very big shift. And while I'm happy to say I did pretty well at it, I can tell you that is definitely not my core strength. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be a little bit stressful for sure. Would you say it's pretty unique for the chief product officer to have a revenue target? Yes. And that was when I first started off. I was actually GM of platform. And then I moved into the chief product officer okay, role. So as the GM, you had the revenue. Right. Role. Got it. So Jenny, in 2017, you joined PayPal. You're a VP. Would love to hear more about that transition, what your team is responsible for now, and something that's interesting about PayPal as a business. I joined PayPal in this unique role that's right in between the commercial side and the product side. My team really owns the merchant partner and kind of developer success as we look at solutions, integrations, and technical servicing for those merchants, partners, and developers. And we live within the product organization, but we've got a really interesting role where we help enable and bring to life the product to each of those customers. So that is the role. And I would say from a unique perspective, the opportunity here to me was really interesting in the sense that the fintech payment processing world was just ripe for disruption. It was already happening. And I thought the opportunity was very big for PayPal. And as I went through the interview process, I found the leadership team here very healthy, very mission-driven but also very customer-oriented. And those factors were really important to me as I thought about the environment in which I wanted to be in. Let's now position or start transitioning and talking about your journey to the boardroom. I know your entire career was your journey to your boardroom, but at what point did you start getting serious about exploring board seats? Right. When I left Salesforce, I initially looked at the opportunity and to start thinking about boards and trying to decide between not-for-profit and corporate boards. And I actually joined a couple of different groups at that time that were active in developing women to be ready for boards. And so I went through an entire formal board training process, several months of kind of understanding what it means to be part of a board, the fiscal responsibility related to it, as well as a lot of kind of just the nuts and bolts of being a board member. And I would say what I realized was so that really that spent a lot of years educating yourself on what that role entailed and what you would sort of be getting yourself into. Right. I always sat on the opposite side of the board. And I think as I was educating myself to really think about what would it mean to be a board member versus being an executive who presents to the board, I think for me, it was really just learning and educating myself to be ready and understand what that would entail. So let's talk a little bit about the Athena Alliance. I know that you've worked quite a bit with that organization. It's a partner of, of ours and they've done great work for sourcing, you know, great independent directors for our portfolio companies that are female. Would love to hear about, you know, working with Coco and her team and kind of the benefits of that type of organization. I first met Coco through a former colleague of mine and I think a friend of hers back in 2013. And she had just started going down this path of creating an organization that really focused on getting women to the board. And as part of that process, stayed kind of in touch and involved and reached out to her again. I think it was at the end of last year when I said, 
I'm finally ready. This is a priority for me. I am very interested in starting the process. You know, how should we move forward? And Coco was great. She had known my background. She had known I had gone through some prep in the past. And so had offered all these great resources to make sure that I was very clear about my value prop uh, to different companies and being really ready to have that conversation. And that was just one of the fabulous offerings that Athena Alliance does in terms of making sure that you've got your message down, that you understand why it's important to you and what you can bring to the table. And I think we can always use help to get that message more crisp. So Jenny, when you were talking to Coco about the types of boards that you'd be interested in, I'm assuming that she made a number of introductions to CEOs and boards that were maybe in very early stages or perhaps even later stages. Would love to understand what you learned about that process and how having different conversations really narrowed in on what you wanted in your board seat. Yeah. So when I decided I was ready and committed to looking for a board seat, I reached out to Coco. I reached out to my network and I really started the process thinking that I wanted to join a larger board, a probably public board or a board that was about to go public. And in that process of introductions and having conversations about what that would be like and the types of companies I think what I found myself gravitating toward was these smaller companies that were out there. Why do you think your initial gut was, I want to go big? Because I actually, I hear that a lot with executives I'm talking to and and asking them that same question, where do you want to be? It's like, oh, the company that's, you know, pre-IPO and probably maybe going to be IPOing in the next 18 months. I mean, there's obviously some monetary benefits to joining an organization at that point, but what was the draw for you? I was really thinking about where could I make the biggest impact. And because I've been fortunate to be a part of four different IPOs and experience, you know, different kind of big company cultures, I thought my value prop and where I could have the most impact would be at that stage of company. And then I think as I was having those conversations and getting the introductions and meeting various CEOs, I kept gravitating toward the smaller companies. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that was as I took a step back, I am now at a very large company, PayPal. And I think the complementary nature of being on a board at a smaller startup and realizing that my broader background and having played multiple types of roles at multiple stages was actually in some ways more valuable to a smaller startup than maybe kind of that mid to large size company. I also found that when I thought about the challenges and problems that those larger companies were taking on, they honestly felt too similar to some of the things I was currently going through at PayPal. And so the kind of differentiation that comes from working with a smaller startup was incredibly appealing to me. That makes sense. And so I know you were introduced at some point earlier this year to the founders of Lupio, one of OpenView's portfolio companies, an RFP management platform. So I think at some point, you know, Zach Hemmerge, the CEO, is probably one of your initial conversations. Tell me about that experience. Did you kind of have that instant connection? Or was it through maybe a series of conversations where you're like, you know what, this is right for me. I'm totally digging this. Zach and I think had an instant connection, but it was very unclear if this was really the right opportunity for me. And I think he was so early in his process as well. 
he wasn't 100% sure yet what he was prioritizing for his independent board member. And so what was great about that conversation was that it was a very open conversation where there was a lot of back and forth questioning, even about trying to understand what each of us was looking for and what each of us wanted out of this experience. And I think through that process, I think I was one of the first people he might have spoken to. He came back, I think it was a month later, and followed up and said, you know, I've narrowed it down. I have much more clarity on what I'm looking for. I'm interested in having some more conversations. Are you? And that's really, I think, where we started double-clicking and going deeper and deeper to really understand a little bit more about what is Lupio doing, what's Lupio's mission, what are the challenges, and where did he see the opportunities? That was really where I think we both thought, wow, this could really be interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm curious to get the answer from you. So in that period where a month went by, were you kind of thinking, you know, he's probably moved on, I'm probably not the right fit? Or did you kind of know, you know, maybe through Coco's advice or maybe advice from your mentors, you know, board seats, it takes time, like give it time. Yeah, I definitely knew he needed the time. At one point in time, I remember thinking, oh, I bet he has already narrowed it down and moved on. And it was right about that point in time where he sent me an email and said, I'm still going through the process. It's taken me longer than I thought it would. I just wanted you to know that. And he was just such a great communicator that that was impressive in and of itself. So you had, is it two board meetings so far? Yes. What are, what are your thoughts coming out of the gate? I know obviously this is a recorded session, so, but tell me, you know, what surprised you about the experience of joining a board, a company that's at the expansion stage, as we call it? I think there were a couple of things that I will say came out in the conversations I had with Matt and with Jafar, who are the two other co-founders, and even with Ricky, who obviously is the uh, OpenView board member. And I think the clear understanding of where they were in their process, where they wanted to go, and where they saw some of the challenges already. They had really good visibility into that, very good understanding of it. And so coming on board and seeing that you know they had been very upfront, very transparent in that process was just wonderful to see. So a whole lot of self-awareness, it sounds like, both Mm -hmm. in the process of joining the board and now even joining those initial meetings, you're seeing that. Yes. And one of the things I really loved about Lupio and one of the reasons I know that I uh, was convinced that Lupio was a great opportunity for me was really around the culture that they foster both from a customer perspective, but also internally to their employees. Mm -hmm. I had this wonderful opportunity to stop by the Toronto office and do a little talk uh, during an all hands for the employees. And it was just very, very clear that comes from Zach and Jafar and Matt. It really comes from the co-founders and the leadership team there, but that it permeates across the entire company was just lovely to see. There's consistency in what I'm hearing from you that the customer, the relationship with the customer, the valuing of the customer is something that really drives you. So in that sense, it sounds like it really is a great fit for you. Definitely. My last question before we jump today, and I think a lot of people have this question as they're maybe taking their first board seat or two is, you know, balancing it with your day job, right? So you still are a VP at PayPal, you know, a busy job, leading a large team, but you now you've got this board seat. Tell me about that balance. Did you have to approach your boss? How did PayPal receive it? Because I know some companies are a little bit weird about it and maybe even don't allow their employees taking uh, other board seats. 
Yeah, PayPal is really great about it. We have great examples. Two other female executives here are on boards, and they had told me about that and told me about the process, which was part of the reason it really encouraged me that I could do this at this point in time. And two other just as fabulously busy executives were doing it as well. So what I did was I approached my boss and let him know, hey, I'm interested in this. You know, would it make sense? Are you supportive of it? And he was 100% supportive of it. Then I approached my HR business partner and said, is there anything I should know or do? I assume as long as there is no conflict of interest, we're okay. And we have a formal process at PayPal for that approval. And so I submitted the paperwork to get the approval once I had decided Lupio was the right one and then receive that approval and then move forward. And I think it's been about four or five months since I joined and it's been an incredibly easy thing to balance in the sense that, you know, Zach and the Lupio team is very understanding and they do their best to flex. But at the same time, you know, my directs and my leadership team here are very flexible and understanding that I have this additional commitment and they want me to be successful in both. And so it's just been an incredibly supportive environment. So you've had support from the top and support from your team. And that's obviously helping you with that transition into your board seat with Lupio. That's outstanding. Jenny, this has been such an interesting conversation today. I've really enjoyed learning about your career, your journey to the boardroom. You're already, you know, two board meetings in and doing great work with the Lupio team. You just were in our office last week hosting a strategy session for them. So I thank you. I'm so excited that you're now part of the OpenView family by means of Lupio. And I really appreciate you taking the time today. Well, I appreciate it. Thank you, Devin. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening to podcasts these days. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can also follow us on Twitter, at OpenViewVenture, and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.